Our guest today, Kerry Goulet. He's been called the Wayne Gretzky of German hockey. He is a champion of many causes, including safety and sports. Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show, coming up! Our guest today hails from Winnipeg, Manitoba, currently living in Melbourne, Australia. He was a forward and a coach. He won the National Ball Hockey title. He played in the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. He played for the Calgary Wranglers of the WHL. He played in the German League for Degendorf, Hamburg, Timmendorf, Gelsenkirchen. He is called the Wayne Gretzky of German Hockey or Mr. Ice Hockey. He won, had 1,997 points in 505 games in Germany. He had his number 29 retired by the Timmendorf Ice Bars. He coached at Timmendorf. He is a current head coach of the Melbourne Ice. He is host of the Goots Live podcast, director of hockey for Shoot for the Cure, and director of StopConcussions.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program. Kerry Gooch, Goulet, Gooch. Well, Great Joe, I'm here, honored not only to be on your show, but most importantly, I just want to set the record straight. A lot of people think that they called me the Wayne Gretzky because of my ice hockey ability. It wasn't. It's the fact that I did so much charity work after uh, we were on the ice. So just want to make sure that nobody thinks that I think I'm Wayne Gretzky. Well, you know what? I, I don't want to sell your don't want to sell yourself short here either, either Gooch, because you had a very successful career, particularly in Germany, and we're going to talk about some of those numbers as we go down the line here. But first of all, uh, I think it's midnight in, in Melbourne. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for staying up to join us tonight. I appreciate that. Uh, the timing love it. <laughs> a little whacked. <laughs> so uh, you talk. We talked a little bit. We mentioned your junior career. Tell us about. Uh, you know your your desire to to make the NHL and your 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 journey to try to get there. Yeah, you know what I, I came through the uh, St. Boniface Saints organization. Ralph Borger owned the club and played with his son Grant and played with a lot of great hockey players. Uh, Terry Tatum was my centerman. I was a right winger as, as a left shot. I was a very quick, fast, uh, creative hockey player. I wasn't very tough, but I certainly put a lot of points up. And I got a lot of calls uh, from people saying that, oh my God, you are gonna make it to the National Hockey League. And uh, through my junior career, I, I did okay, things were good. But unfortunately back in those days, you know, you had to be tough. And that's one of the things I never realized until I got to Germany, what tough meant. Uh, so I got this opportunity through Fran Huck, uh, an international player for, for uh, obviously Hockey yeah. Canada. He was my agent. You'll remember him from the Winnipeg Jets days. And of course. He was. He watched me play in the Manitoba Junior League and said, listen, I think I may be able to get you a shot at uh, maybe a tryout with the Winnipeg Jets. They were looking for those diamonds in the rough. So I actually got my claim to fame for the NHL is I've got a letter with the Winnipeg Jets logo saying that we are interested in you if you don't get drafted uh, to come out to our pre-rookie camp. And it was signed by John Ferguson senior senior and so i've got that hanging at home and one of the things that was amazing about this story is they had a two-day training camp at the winnipeg arena a wonderful place where i had watched bobby hall elf nielsen anders hedberg in those days of the wha and i emulated the way they played 
I wasn't that up and down type of winger because it wasn't very tough. So it was like the, you know, the Anders Hedberg. I was on the left wing. I was on the right wing. I was a center. And I got known as being a little bit in those days called undisciplined. So we had this camp. And I got to tell you, Joe, I was more of a Zamboni wiping up the ice because it ended up just being a bloodbath. And what they were actually looking for in those days in 1988, you'll remember the Broad Street Bully days, they were either looking uh, for a guy that could fight and be tough or be Gretzky, and I was neither. So I, I was let and him say to me, Mr. Goulet, we really like the way you play. We just don't think you're tough enough. You got to go back and toughen up. And as any young man, I thought my dream was over and cried for a couple of days. And, uh, but I was told by John Ferguson Sr. I wasn't tough enough. So I'll take that as a big compliment. And uh, the rest is kind of history. I, I ended up uh, going off and playing in Germany and really finding out what tough was all about. Well, John Ferguson Jr. definitely knew, knew, knew tough. I mean, he was probably the toughest player in the NHL when he played in his day, no doubt about that. So yeah. before you went over to Germany, I think it was, you played for the Thunder Bay Twins. Yes. Uh, so 87-88. Now we have, uh, were you, we have some visits from the 87-88 team. I don't know if you were part of that team or not. but uh, oh, that's they won the, that's the, my, That was my line mate. Yeah, there you go. So... So very exciting times in Thunder Bay. They beat Charlottetown in a four-game Here I am right there in the final to capture yeah. the Allen Cup. There you go. It's going 33 yeah. to 10. So that was yeah. uh, exciting times for you? Well, you know Tell what? Us about uh, that I don't know if you know it, but I owned a nightclub in Winnipeg when I was uh, uh, 21. It was called Fridays. And through that nightclub, I got this opera. I was playing for the St. Boniface Mohawks. Uh, I played for the St. James Flames, where I was lucky enough to play with Bobby Hull Jr. and a guy named Danny uh, Dan uh, Bonner. He was the player coach. And I won the scoring title off a slap shot from Bobby Hull Jr. hitting me in the bum. I won by one point. <laughs> and through that experience and owning this nightclub, I got a guy that was in Thunder Bay who owned this place that was called Club Soda. And he had asked me, would I ever consider moving out to to Thunder Bay and helping him run it. Uh, and there was a there was a cash league team. It was the Central Amateur Senior Hockey League. Um, there was the Thunder Bay Twins who had already won three Allen Cups. And I was really enticed. So I sold off my portion in Fridays in Winnipeg and off I went to Thunder Bay. And that's where my career really took off. And the fact that I did win an Allen Cup with a great team, a great bunch of guys. Uh, as I mentioned, my best friend, uh, Mark Backer, and then, of course, guys like Wally Pressinger and uh, Chris Tierney. It was, it was an incredible time. And at that event, during that weekend of the Allen Cup Finals, uh, and after winning, a couple days later, I got a phone call from a guy named Luke Nielsen. And Luke had said, hey, listen, I just saw you play in the Allen Cup. You're a really good skater. Uh, you're an entertainer. I've got a team for you in Europe, if you're at all interested, it's in Fife, Scotland. And I was, uh, I had a girlfriend at the time in Thunder Bay and uh, I was 27 and she was 23. And um, when I thought about it, I said, God, I'm gonna actually go off and play pro hockey. This is phenomenal. So uh, he gave me the, the pitch, it wasn't very much money, but the bonus was Joe, I would get to play once a week on the practice course and once a month on St. Andrew's real course. 
And so I was wow. really intrigued, ready to go. I went back home and told my girlfriend at the time, Veronica, ah, I'm, we've got a chance. We're going to go over to, to uh, uh, play ice hockey overseas. And she said, no, no, uh, you know what? I'm not interested. <laughs> it's time for you to settle down. You're 27. You own a part of a nightclub. What, what would you ever think of doing that? And Joe, I turned it down. No. And so I kicked myself in the butt for a couple of weeks. And then Luke was persistent. He called me back up. And don't forget, these were the days when you didn't have cell phones and the fax machines and, and the internet to look at it. He pulled me up and said, okay, Kerry, listen, I got this really good opportunity for you. It's a fourth division team in Germany. They're looking for an entertainer type player. You've got good offensive skills. You may not be tough, but you don't need to be tough in Germany. So I've got this opportunity for you. And he said, go Go and find it. It's called Eschweiler. It's on the border of Belgium and Holland and Germany. It was called the Dreieck or the Three Corners. And so I had to actually go to a library and look in an atlas. And I was looking and looking, couldn't find it, called Luke back up, said, Luke, where is it? He said, no, no, look closer. And I saw this little little town just outside of Aachen and about an hour out of Cologne, Germany. And I said, I'm going. So then I had to go back to Veronica and say, Veronica, listen, I got this opportunity. It's second time around. I'm not going to get it again. I want to go to Germany. Are you coming with me? And she said, uh, after a couple of maybe 20 minutes of back and forth, she said, no, listen, uh, my twin, she had a twin sister and her mother. She didn't have a father. She didn't want to leave them. And she said, you know what? You've got to make a decision. You've either got to decide that we're going to build a life here in Thunder Bay, or you're going to go off to Germany on your own. You have to make that decision. Well, Joe, it didn't take very long after the <laughs> second time. I said, uh, could you pack my bags and put them in the trunk? I'm leaving. And I actually left that way. It was really, it was a hard decision, but I didn't want to pass up another chance because it doesn't come too often. And it was the best decision I ever made. Uh, unfortunately, obviously, her and I broke up over the year. Uh, obviously, things didn't work out with a long distance relationship. But I'll tell you what, um, what a great opportunity. And, and what's really this is all about now is my skates became my passport to the world. My skates have taken me everywhere a person could possibly go. So I'm blessed that I made that decision. Um, and here I am today now, the head coach in Melbourne. And it's a full circle. Well, you know, following your dream is awesome. And when you can make a living doing it, that's just, you know, really all we can ask for. And so uh, you, you talked about, you know, Germany and that you had some success there. One season with the Timmendorfer Strand, you had 99 goals and 137 assists for 236 points. That's in just 51 games. Now, those we, we talked about the Gretzky comparison. Those are, are Gretzky-like numbers. So, what was it like to put up numbers like that? Because that's like four and a half points, almost five points a game. Well, I'll tell you what. It was with a guy named Mark McKay, who's out of Winnipeg, played for the Moose Jaw. Uh, God, I can't remember the Moose Jaw. I can't remember the name of the team. Warriors? Um, no. That's it. Moose Jaw Warriors. Warriors. And he went yeah, yeah. off earlier uh, to play in Germany. And then I knew once I got over there that I would go and visit him. And he played in the third division and the second division. And I was at the fourth at, at the time. And I got this offer from a team, Timmendorfer Strand, when I was playing in Eschweiler. Every time I played against Timmendorf, I always had this incredible game. Uh, I put up six, seven points. And after the second year in Eschweiler, they called me up into Timmendorf. It was about a six-hour drive on the northern part of um, Germany uh, on the Baltic Sea, uh, just north of Hamburg. 
uh, and I wheeled up there. I didn't speak very good German at the time. And they had another person with the management. They spoke uh, very broken English, but they had a translator. And they had this contract when I got up there and I'm looking at it and said, wow, this is great. And Jörg Dietrich, who was uh, the interpreter, was telling me, you know, here's your contract and this is what it's about. And I said, well, hang on a sec here. It says trainer. What does that mean? And he said, oh, they want you to be the player coach. And I said, you, they want me to be right, Reggie Dunlop? No, they want you to be the coach. And I said, well, hang on a sec here. I've never really actually coached. But as you know, Joe, I've got a little bit of gift of the cab. I can shovel with the best of them. And as I kept going down the contract, I saw the number at the end of the page. And I said, hang on a second, have they made a mistake here? No, no, double my salary that I'm playing for. And he said, yeah, that's it. And I said, where's the pen? I'm signing it. And I signed it and I never coached before. And so I went back that summer and got to understand with a guy named Donnie Depot and Dan Bonner, who I mentioned earlier, played for the LA Kings. I got them to help me really do the rush course of being a coach. And then I got to play with a guy named Mark McKay. Uh, I brought him as his team captain. He was a leader. He's one of the best players I'd ever played for. And that's why my numbers look like they do. He was the best of the best. I played with another kid named Marvin Glazer. He was a German Canadian. And our line ended up one, two, three for many years in the scoring uh, uh, list. And of course, we won a couple German championships uh, you know, in the third division, as in Germany, just like soccer, there's first, second, and third. Third division at that time would be like the East Coast League uh, over right. here. And uh, that's why I put up good numbers because I had great players. Yeah, I had some skill, but I had great people to play with. And and as a player coach, you know, I could stay on the ice a little bit longer, make more mistakes, and I wouldn't fire myself. <laughs> you never bench yourself, ever. Well, no. here, here's, a, here's, a, here's a picture we have of you. Uh, Following the goal you scored that gave you a third German championship. Tell us about this moment right here. Well, you know, that, that's great, Frat. Uh, you can see how old the picture is, kind of pixelated. Um, I had just uh, finished winning a German championship with Mark McKay in, in, Eshwa, in Timmendorf. And the team was wanting to make some changes. And unfortunately, I didn't realize I had a five-year deal on the table that he didn't sign yet in Timmendorf. And uh, Mark and the other imports, and uh, you know, you're only allowed two imports, I being one. We had to bring in a second one because Mark got, had to go home at one time. So we had three imports. So the management came to me and said, listen, you're the older uh, statesman on the team. Uh, we'd like you to step back and just be a coach and let Mark and this Jeff Tomlinson play. And I wasn't ready to hang it up yet. So Mark got me an opportunity to go to his old team, Grayfrath, and it was a really sad time for me to leave. Uh, you know, it's a beach resort. I lived right on the beach on the Baltic Sea. Um, but I had this opportunity to go down to Greyfrath, which is in the middle of Germany, where it's called the Ruggerbeet. And I'll tell you what, it was another, um, just a lucky move. Uh, I got an opportunity to go down to a team that was right in the heart of needing somebody like me to just push them over the edge, because I brought a couple other players with us. and. Lo and behold, we won another championship. Again, not solely because of me, but certainly my impact as a player coach and as an entertainer really got the team fired up. And uh, I got lucky uh, to, to win a, that was, Timmendorf was unbelievable because it was my first. I won one in Hamburger in the fourth division, which is, you know, not the greatest hockey. 
Uh, but in Gravefrath, it wasn't expected. And uh, to win it was just absolutely, truly remarkable. And I thank Timmendorf for waking me up and allowing me to move around Germany and, and, and get to see the entire country. Well, that's uh, amazing. But your career, 505 games, 1,997 points, about four points a game. That's that's pretty pretty awesome numbers. Now, we got some uh, video from some hockey in Germany for 1929. I think that was just a little before you got there. Uh, I don't think you're in the video. <laughs> but uh, it tells us that, you know, hockey has plenty of history in Germany. Uh, do they like their hockey there? Oh, my God. you got to remember that hockey is – you know, the sport versus soccer and, and versus, you know, rugby. It's a sport that, you know, it's in a confined space. Uh, it's, you know, these men are on blades of steel traveling at miles of 20 to 30 kilometers an hour. There's lots of bash and crash and blood and guts and the whole kind of uh, everything that a German wants to see, because you don't see that in, obviously, in, in their regular sports, obviously soccer. And you got to remember, Joe, the, the three most popular sports in Germany is soccer, soccer, and soccer. And so <laughs> ice right. hockey, as you called it, was probably around in the sixth division or the sixth place when you talked about it. Basketball was a bit bigger. A handball was a, a bigger sport. And so a lot of the sport came from Bavaria, where obviously there was colder temperatures down in the Alps. And it just took a while for it to start moving across and up north where, you know, they don't get much snow. And so it, it took uh, since 1929 all the way through now, as you see, some of the greatest players, Leon Dreisaitl. I got to play against his father, Peter Dreisaitl. Wow. Obviously, Tim Stutzla, who's playing in um, in uh, Ottawa. That picture you see me after I scored in Greyfrath. Tim Stutzel was coached by my captain who assisted on that winning goal, Elmer Schmitz. So I, there's a lot of history. And now you see what has happened with German hockey. It's just absolutely exploded. And it's, you know, one of the uh, model countries to watch. And so I'm just blessed that I had an opportunity. I wish I would have made it in the National Hockey League, but getting the opportunity to go to Germany, play in there with their, their converted soccer fans. I want to tell you a real, really quick story. I, I don't know how much time we have, but I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll no problem. Let it, take your time. No worries. My first practice in Eschweiler, I had the Wayne Gretzky helmet. I had the shirt tucked in. Our dressing yeah. room was down below. It's our first practice, and I'm coming up these steps. And as I'm coming up, I'm hearing this music, and I'm looking out, and, and it was a rink that maybe held a 1,000 people. Like, there were – 1,500 people in this place. It was completely jammed. And you could hardly see stuff because they were all still smoking at that time. I thought right. it was a fog school, but it was actually all the cigarettes. <laughs> I got up and they were singing and dancing. And you saw the the rows going back and forth like soccer, you know? And, and so we're in the practice and I'm thinking I'm really cool. You know, all these people came out to see the gooch. And my other import was a guy, Joseph Kostik, <laughs> from Poland. He and I couldn't speak either language. He, I could yeah, speak yeah. Polish, he couldn't speak English, none of us could speak German. But we just hit it off really quickly on the ice. So in this scrimmage practice game we had, we score a goal, the place erupts. There's drums and 
drinking and partying. And so after practice, I go downstairs and I sit down in the dressing room, open up a beer with the boys. I said, wow, that's cool that they came out to see Joseph and I, you know, practice. He said, no, no, Gooch, it's not. They came here to practice. I said, what do you mean practice? Well, they have their routines. So when they score a goal, one line would go one way, the other one would go the other. They didn't come for us. They came for the party. So I was deflated. And then we had the press conference right after. And what was funny about it, Joe, is, you know, I played for the Calgary Wranglers. So in the press conference, I'm sitting there with Luke Nielsen, who could speak English and, of course, German. Uh, he was from uh, Holland. He was, uh, he was my agent, if you wanted to call it. And they get up there and they introduce Joseph. And, of course, Joseph, being a, a Polish national player, wasn't quite as big as a Canadian. So they did right. it really quickly. Then they said, and now, ladies and gentlemen, Kerry Goulet. Uh, and I hear these in German uh, American, uh, Calgary Flames, uh, 50 goal score. Uh, and so I'm listening to this and I'm, I turned to Luke and I said, Luke, have they got the right resume? Not okay. Just go up there. <laughs> so I get up there and they're asking me questions and I can't understand a word. Yeah. 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 The next day in the newspaper, I would send it to you. You could not believe it. Terry Goulet, uh, former NHLer for the Calgary Flames, after scoring 50 goals, the young American <laughs> is now here to entertain. And I'm thinking, how crazy is this? They had the wrong player. <laughs> Well, you know, it, it's uh, it's a little bit of the language problem there. I've got you got got messed things messed messed up a little bit. But you know what? Uh, I look at the Germans, and, and you you mentioned Stutzla and Leon Dreisaitl. He won the Hart Trophy a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. And, and they won silver medal at the at the World Championships this year. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, does it feel like maybe you you had you had a little bit to do with that? You and the and the growth in, in German hockey. Well, I wouldn't say me personally, but I would say all the Canadians and Americans, of course, they had a lot of Russians and the the influence from the imports was so important. And yes, I maybe had a little bit to do with it, but it's more a guy named Franz Reindel. He was the president of the DB, an incredible hockey player. He took it over about 10 years ago and he he had decided that he was going to convert uh, uh, ice hockey in Germany into a sport that's going to rival uh, obviously the likes of soccer. And if you remember back, you may, as a, as a hockey enthusiast, Eric Kunuckle, he was the real mm -hmm. Wayne Gretzky of, of ice hockey. He was drafted by the New York Rangers. He actually roomed with Phil Esposito, which I found absolutely crazy because mm -hmm. I got to talk to Phil about this. And Eric Kunuckle was about six foot five, not the typical hockey player at the time. And he got homesick in training camp and came home and never actually played in the National Hockey League. He would have been a force. He would have been a, one of those wonders of the world when it came to German ice hockey. But then over the years, there's been many, you know, Marco Sturm and that, but nobody has done what, what that Leon Dreisaitl has done. Uh, there's a lot of great players like Mar uh, Marco Sturm, as I mentioned, Maurice Schneider in in Edmonton, uh, in Detroit. But the next one's going to be this Tim Stutzler. He is absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. And it was it was really France Reindel who created this opportunity for these young men to develop into these incredible players. And he said he had a project called Project 26 back then and said, by 26, 2026, we're going to be in the Olympics. And we know what they've done up until now. They've far exceeded what they expected. Yeah, they beat that. They beat that for sure. Made the quarterfinals of the last Olympics and, and uh, yes. you know. Uh, so... Um,
here's an awesome picture. This is when you had your jersey retired, you and your line mates. Uh, all had your jerseys retired together in 2003. Yeah. Mark McKay, fellow Winnipeg native. So, Gordy, how was Mr. Hockey and you were Mr. Ice Hockey? Uh, how'd you end up getting that nickname? Well, again, you know, it came from – there was a press conference. We just finished a charity event, and at this particular event, Marvin Glazer on the left, actually from Calgary, was a German-Canadian. And Mark, again, you know, one of the best players I've ever played with. We had such an impact on this northern city – we were called the Beach Boys because we were playing in the, you know, on a, on a like it was like playing in L.A. And um, there was a press conference, uh, and the press reporter had said, "Oh my God, Carrie, you know, you're this Mister, you're you're Wayne Gretzky of ice hockey after this charity and all that sort of stuff." And he, people left out the fact that it was about me, not my playing ability, but all the charity work. And then he said, "You know what? You're Mister Ice Hockey." And it stuck and people kept saying it. And listen, it was third division ice hockey. It was, you know, it's not the NHL. It's not even the DB, which is the largest um, uh, or the biggest league there. But Joe, I guess what had happened because uh, I, I was taught by my parents uh, to be humble and to have fun in life. And if there's somebody that has less than you, if you got a dollar, you know, give them 25 cents of it. So I became this philanthropist through an opportunity uh, uh, or through a tragic incident where my buddy, when I was 18, he broke his neck. His name was Robert Belfour and he became a quad. And at that time, as a young man, I, I, I learned a very quick lesson that it could all change in an instant. You're uh, in this gladiator equipment and the next day you're laying you know, motionless. And Robert taught me a very valuable lesson that helped me get through all of my good times, my bad times, and how to keep it all in perspective. I had to do his eulogy back a few, probably about eight years ago. And uh, I flew back into Winnipeg. I was in Germany at the time and had flown back to do the eulogy. And Joe had done this huge speech and wrote it down on paper. And I was going back to see some guys I hadn't seen in probably 20 years. And I stood in front of all these people at the church, had these notes. And I looked around, I saw people that I, I just adored while I was playing and they helped me get to where I was. And I said, you know what? It's not right that I read this speech. I, I want to do it from the heart. And I came up with this as I was standing there. Uh, I said, Robert brought us here together for a reason. He never complained, even though his trials and tribulations every day was having a battle just to breathe. And we were fighting over what golf course to play or what restaurant to, 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 to um, you know, make a reservation. And then I thought about why we were there. And Robert basically said, it's not what you collect along your journey, the scoring titles, the cars, the money, the accolades. It's what you give back that was a true meaning and your true legacy. And I lived from that moment. That's what I've tried to do. You mentioned me, you know, working with uh, sports, uh, safe for sports. Uh, obviously, I do a lot of concussion work because I went down a very bad path. Um, and that was really the time where it gave me this opportunity to understand life is more than a game. Because ice hockey or hockey as we hear it is only a game. It's all the other things that you can do around that that pedestal that they put you on, uh, you can actually make change. And and that's what I was taught by my parents. And I'm so proud to be able to do those type of things in their name. You know, you, you talked about uh, the concussions. Uh, you went down a dark road. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, it was actually my, I've had a couple in my junior career. We didn't really talk about it a lot back then. Um, and um, when I got over to Germany, it was actually my first week in Eschweiler. I was coming around in that stupid Gretzky helmet. I'd just beaten the defenseman. I was about 10 feet away from the net. I had opened up to take a slap, to, uh, a wrist, wrist shot. And the defenseman that I'd beaten had swung his stick and he took my feet out and I went straight to the boards. And thank God I was able to turn my body because I was going head first. I got to turn it and I hit the side of my body onto my shoulder and my head obviously bounced off the boards. And uh, I woke up in the hospital. I did not uh, know what was going on. And as I was laying in the bed and waking up, you know, they had these five German doctors over top of me. I'd only been there for a week. My German, uh, I, pa I got to grade 12 by passing grade six twice. So I wasn't the sharpest stack in the box. And then on top of that, the only German I knew was Hogan's Heroes, Octavian. So, <laughs> so these German doctors were standing over top of me and they were talking about stuff. And I kept hearing Schulte, Schulte. So I, I kind of thought, well, it's my shoulder. And my shoulder was in pretty rough shape. Um, and so... Um, at that time, my mother was flying into Schiphol, Amsterdam. It was about a two hour drive from where I was living and I couldn't get anybody to go and get her. So I actually snuck out of the hospital, uh, took off the, uh, the, uh, hospital gib gear that I was, I had on because if I arrived in Amsterdam, I didn't want my mother to think I became a doctor. So I drove right. and picked her up and on the way back. At that time, I was able to make the choice not to go back. I didn't go back to the hospital, but I knew there was something going on. I just, there was a lot of fog. There was a lot of sensitivity to light. I really didn't know what was going on, but I attributed to A, the sore shoulder, practicing two a days, going through all these trials and tribulations and anxiety of being a pro hockey player for the first time, the pressure of always having to produce. Um, and I never went back to the hospital. And I played every Friday, Saturday, for uh, 12 months. And then uh, I went through a very, very dark time. Uh, and what had happened was uh, I was on the Autobahn um, and I was driving. I had a girlfriend at the time and it seemed like I was having a heart attack. I was going about 200 kilometers an hour. And all of a sudden my left arm went kind of numb. Uh, my heart, my chest was starting to feel tight and my eyes were kind of uh, glossy. And my girlfriend saw it and said, pull over. And she thought I was having a heart attack. So I got out of the car, my knees buckled. She dragged me, put me in the passenger seat. We drove really quickly back to our town in Eschweiler. And of course, being a Canadian and a hockey star, if you want to call it, I went right in to emergency and they did every test known to man. They had wires and, and stuff plugged in all over me. And after it was all said and done, they just came out and said, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You're okay. Uh, it must just be you know, you're going through some anxiety. And so I flew home that summer, Joe, and it went nasty. I went through a very, very uh, low light, low energy. Um, I, I was just dreaming suicide, watching people commit suicide, not me myself. And I realized I needed some help. So my father got me to see his doctor. Uh, they sent me to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist basically said, listen, you're, you're, you're going through this really bad case of anxiety. We're going to pop you on a pill. We want you to get back and play in Germany. So we're going to put you on this pill called Depresamine. And it was kind of an antipsychotic. And it just numbed me. I got to work out. I got prepared. I flew over to Timmendorf. 
And uh, a month, I still don't remember it. My father actually flew over with me and basically was my babysitter. Joe, I could play. I could do everything on the rink, except when I got off the rink, I could hardly wash dishes. I couldn't even wipe my bum. My dad did everything for me for that first month. And it was actually the drugs were doing worse than what I guess was mm. a concussion. And so I, I met a girl there and she walked me through it and helped me through it. And Willie Rocker, my doctor there at the time, who's no longer with us, was an absolute incredible man. I had tremendous support from him, Alexander Capacci. She was just, Alexa Capacci was so beautiful to get me through it with my dad. And I never looked back. I had some bad days, good days, but it was certainly ugly. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm blessed that I got through it. And I vowed at that time I would, I would, I would be the champion or help be a champion for people that are suffering from concussions because we really didn't understand it. And that's how this stop concussions got formed with Keith Primo. Right. So I'm going to get to that for in just a moment, but, um, you know, you talk, you, you, you talked about wanting to give back, you know, if you got a dollar, give, give a quarter away, you know, that type of thing that you learned that for your parents and uh, wanting to give away. And then your friend, Robert, uh, you were a director of hockey operations for a shoot for a cure. And uh, we have some video from 2010 from the hockey hall of fame induction weekend. Uh, that was the year Angela James, uh, Cammy Granato, yes. Dino Cicerelli, Jimmy Devilano, all were honored. There's Pat Quinn. Uh, so, you were there to help raise awareness. Uh, we have some some of the talk that you gave before the Legends game, along with Barry Monroe, president of Canadian Spinal Research. Let's, let's have a listen to that. Thank As you. we have all read in the paper, there is a huge epidemic with concussions with uh, boys and girls all across this country, and we work tirelessly to make sure that stops. And today it can stop, and of course with your help, we know it's going to. Also with spinal cord injuries, we saw a reduction in spinal cord injuries, but if you've been re reading the paper lately, uh, in the last six months, four players have been injured. What you bring to the table starts to generate so much energy. It brings the leagues together. We got the PA together. We got the alumni together. And we got the NHL all talking to us right now. In the next couple of years, you're going to see a great movement that's really going to make this game better and also safer, but at the same time, as much fun for everybody else and grow the game. You did that. And I want to thank you on behalf of all the people in chairs and out there facing with concussions that love this game so much. You're making the game better. And what you're doing today is going to make it all better for many, many people. So thank you very much. Enjoy. Yeah, how, how important how important for you was it to get involved with Shoot, Shoot for a Cure? Well, Barry Monroe is a true hero. Uh, he's the guy that uh, got me started in in Canada to be a, a, a mini philanthropist, if you want to call it that. Um, long story short, uh, I had a three-year deal left on my contract uh, in uh, to go back, and um, I went to a golf tournament, and Barry Monroe was hosting it. And I got to meet him at this golf tournament. It was just, I think it was um, September the 7th uh, when I met him. And we talked about, my father had just gone through prostate cancer and we had just lost him. Uh, it was his funeral, or sorry, it was the day he had passed. And my brother and my mother said, Carrie, you have to go to this golf tournament. It's part of the Hockey Hall of Fame. And I was to fly back to Germany on September the 14th to go and start my last part of my three-year deal. And uh, Barry was at this golf tournament and I heard him talk and it was about spinal. And as you know, Robert Belfort, I'd already lived through that. So I went up to Barry and I said, hey, Barry, I'm Kerry Goulet. <clears throat> 
I know that you run this incredible organization. Um, I, I come back every summer. I'd love to be a part of your organization when I come back next summer. Um, and he gave me his card, which was fantastic. Unfortunately, my father's funeral was September the 12th, uh, 2001. And we all know what happened in uh, September mm, the 11th, 2001. Yeah. So I was instantly retired. Uh, I couldn't go back. I was going to take my mother back to grieve. Uh, but it just didn't happen because nobody actually made my father's funeral. None of the relatives because of the no-fly zone. Um, and so I knew that I couldn't leave my mom and my contract was going to come null and void anyway. So I had then contacted Barry because he had given me his card. I said, hey, Barry, remember you said I could come and help you? Well, I'm not helping you next summer. I'm helping you now. And I explained it to him. And he said, listen, Kerry, we don't have any money right now, but we'd love to bring you on board. And that's how I became the director of hockey operations with, with Shoot for a Cure. And it's still today. Barry's one of my best buddies. And we work tirelessly uh, for what's called neurotrauma. He takes care of the spine and I hopefully take care of the brain. Right. So uh, you, so in retrospect, you know that when you look back, it was, it was post-concussion syndrome pretty much that you were going through when you had that deep depression Absolutely. and anxiety no and, and everything else. And I guess the medication you take from, uh, as a result of that is different than they would have been giving you at the time. Absolutely. And I think we didn't know enough. We didn't uh, mm -hmm. understand it enough. So I had to educate myself. And so I dug in deep, again, mentioning that, you know, I, I, I don't want to downplay myself, but I wasn't one of those good, great students. I was an athlete. I loved everything about sport. And uh, school took back uh, a back, uh, uh, back seat for that. Um, but I then started to realize I had done something to my brain. And when I joined up with Shoot for a Cure, <clears throat> our ambassadors were Keith Primo, and Jerome McGinley. And so I got to know Keith very well, and we all know his uh, plight with concussions. Um, I then helped him through his, and we became best buddies. And we actually wrote a book together in 2011 uh, called um, Concussed, Understanding the Visible Injury. And Keith and I realized at the time we were damaging our brains at an alarming rate. What could we do about it? And so we wrote this book to get other athletes to understand uh, you weren't alone. And if you know anybody that suffered from a concussion, when you're in that dark space, you don't see it, a light at the end of the tunnel. And Keith and I wanted to be that. We wanted people to know you weren't alone. And if you had a, a super network, uh, which I had when I was over in Germany, my parents were phenomenal. Um, if you didn't have that, that's what we were to be. And that's what uh, over the years, Keith and I, along with some great people, Paul Rosen, um, you know, have done just an amazing job. He's one of my best friends also and a great ambassador. We've just been out there making sure people understand, uh, you know what, you can't, uh, you can't put the emphasis on your brain enough. It's one of the parts of your body you can't replace. So you better take care of it. And we weren't doing a good job with it. So we were just trying to get people to understand the cause, effect, consequence, and the ability to manage the injury. Yeah, and you talked about stopconcussions.com, uh, you and Keith, and, and uh, you guys both spoke at a brain injury symposium, and we have a, a little bit of that uh, clip from that uh, where Keith was talking about that. Vic, if you can roll that out. The order. results of each concussion were, 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 be, were becoming different. The side effects were all different. Uh, some of them were, were consistent, the headaches, the head pressure, um, 
but but a lot of times I, I have I have different symptoms. I had double vision. I had uh, um, exercise-induced lightheadedness. I had um, sensitivity to light, um, and so there was. There was there was there was never any consistency, and that's why I always tell people as well that no two concussions are alike. When we're trying to treat them, it may take you multiple uh, practitioners or multiple uh, fields of study in order to you know to, to return to health. And you experienced similar con- uh, similar you know uh, effects as as uh, as Keith. So um, stopconcussions.com. So tell us a little more about that. Well, I'll tell you what, Keith, uh, Keith could have just sat back and, and did nothing. You know, he's an athlete that had millions of dollars around him, all the best doctors, and it took him seven years to become what's called his new normal. And so when Keith and I talked about it, we decided that we both had a voice. He was had a much bigger platform playing in the National Hockey League and arguably being one of the top power forwards in the 2000s, and I being, you know, somewhat of a, an obscure hockey player. Um, I had a voice and I was able to open the voice and uh, Keith would open the doors and I would go through them. And we, when we first started out, Joe, there were not a lot of people that were wanting to listen to us. They thought we were hypocrites. You know, this is a sport that was very rough and tough. And why are you trying to change the game? And none of us wanted to change the game. Anybody that's trying to help in the concussion space, especially today, you see what's going on in the NFL, the NHL, we're not trying to change the game. What we need to do is understand the damage we're doing to our brains and, and get a understanding of how we can mitigate the risk of these injuries. And so some people thought we were trying to change and, and destroy their game. It was my game. I loved hockey. I wish I could still play it today at 64, but I can't. And I know I did damage to my brain, but I'm a lucky one, Joe. I got out of it somewhat unscathed. I don't have dementia. I don't have Alzheimer's. I don't have Parkinson's. I don't have any of those neurological issues that come along with concussions. And I certainly don't believe I have CTE, which is the big word, you know, Chris Nowinski doing an amazing job and making awareness on it. I knew that my voice could be heard and I would pound the drum and I wouldn't take no for an answer. Uh, It wasn't easy. It's been a long road but we certainly have made inroads in people to understand that we have to take care of the most precious thing God gave us. And that's our child brains. We're the adults in the picture. We're the ones that need to protect our youth. And if we watch these gladiator games that we play and we watch us continue on head hits, um, you know, punching into the head and all these other things that can create um, sub-concussive hits, we need to make sure we protect our youth first and we as adults need to do that and we haven't done such a great job at it and we're still trying to get people to buy in and understand um, concussions not only change lives it ends lives so that's why we started stop concussions we wrote the book called concussed and we've made a little bit of an impact and making an impact down under as well. Here's another clip from uh, an event you did there. This is a few years back. You're interviewing Dave Hansen of the famed Hansen brothers and uh, former Leaf Dave Tiger Williams. That's In right. Sydney, there's 10,000, well, more. I think there was 15,000 people. And I said, Dave Hansen from the Hansen brothers, you put your glasses on. That was a pretty loud ovation. 
you know, we, like you said, we've been all over the world, and, and, and every place I've gone, I've been surprised, but I have not been more surprised than going to Australia and seeing the popularity of Slapchat and the Hanson Brothers there. Well, it's the 40th anniversary, too. That's yeah. 40 years. You don't look that old. Yeah, well, that's because I keep drinking grape and orange, but none of that stinking root beer. If somebody would say, Dave Tiger Williams, 3,966 penalty minutes, what would they think about? I, I, they would probably uh, have the same thoughts as I do. The, the referees had very bad judgment when I was playing. <laughs> do the best. Yeah, I shoot for the cure event in, in Melbourne. Uh, that was obviously pretty successful. It was uh, actually, uh, yeah, I do a thing called the Ice Hockey Classic where we bring uh, Canada and U.S. players uh, from the National Hockey League, from the AHL, uh, all the way down to the East Coast League and and CIS and uh, NCAA, and I got lucky. You know, I had Brent Burns here. Uh, I had Dave Tiger Williams and Daryl Sittler at the same time coaching Canada U.S. And my claim to fame is we brought Wayne Gretzky over as an ambassador in 2015, and um, I helped grow the game a bit here. And uh, there he there he is. It was I got I got the chance, Joe to play on Team Goulet versus Team Gretzky. I lined up against him and um, he was my idol. I just absolutely loved everything about him. And who would have thought the time I would get to play with him was in Sydney, Australia. It was, it was breathtaking. And I actually got engaged in front of him to my wife, Tony, and uh, at that game with five or 6,000 people for the pregame. And then we sold 20,000 tickets, 20,000, the largest. Wow. Wow, there, there you it go. Is, right there. Uh, I helped build that rink along with a great crew, uh, Jim, uh, Jeff Armoral from um, the Paramount Ice facility in Toronto, and then obviously Ice World with Martin Arts and Martin Reef. All of us got together and we built this rink. And who would have thought we'd put 20,000 people in the Kudos Arena? Uh, wow, it's, it's still. And I don't know if you know it, I, I know you know it. The NHL is coming down to Melbourne, Australia this year, September the 23rd and 24th, and they're going to play in the Rod Labor Arena. And I, what, I, what was really cool about it was the fact that when they did their press conference, they had to announce it's the first NHL hockey game at the Rod Labor Arena. They could say it was the first ice hockey game because I had already right. done it three times and sold it out. So uh, I was really honored when they did that and uh, they invited me out to the event, uh, the opening uh, announcement of it, and I'll be here for the game. So, uh, wow, hockey's been so great to me. I just, I, I can't, uh, I have to pinch myself. Well, the, the Wayne Gretzky versus the German Wayne Gretzky, I, I would have been one of those 20,000 people in there, no doubt about it. <laughs> you know what I want to say? We both were long in the tooth and very slow. And, um, you know, what he did for those fans and what he did for each player, he was he was the Wayne Gretzky. He'd come over that blue line. He'd do that little turn on the dime, and he'd make sure a pass went to them. Um, we exchanged jerseys. At halftime, we only played two 20-minute periods so that everybody got a chance to play with me. No, uh, sorry, they got a chance to play <laughs> yeah. with Gretzky. And he was animated. He was unbelievable. He tapped everybody on the pen. I had one guy say, I got a pass from Wayne Gretzky, and I scored a goal. And so it really opened the eyes to so many people here. And he was a great ambassador, as was Dave Hansen. Dave Hansen was on the ice with us. John, 
uh, John Scott. Do you remember that name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The All-Star. came over here. Brent Burns came over here, played in games. It was like the Stanley Cup Finals, the way he played. Uh, we had a long list of guys that came over, and it's still going. Uh, COVID has put a little bit of a stop to it right now, uh, but we will be back in 2024 where we are going to be doing an outdoor game in Queenstown, New Zealand. It's going to be spectacular. Yeah, and before, uh, before the, the, the game coming up at Rod Lave Arena in September, uh, you've got another event call, coming up next month. Uh, Melbourne Ice, the uh, Australian Hockey Ice, Ice Hockey League, are going to host a yep. Tour of Hope with the Woodland yep. Cree Hockey Club. Tell us about this initiative. Well, thank you. Uh, in January 2020, uh, I was asked to uh, bring the uh, Garna Boomerangs over from uh, uh, Mel, uh, Adelaide to... Edmonton, Alberta, to take them up to Calling Lake. And it was Mari Shaw uh, KC. She's a judge here in Adelaide. She formed an organization called the Ice Factor. And uh, again, it's a long story, so I'll condense it. What she did is, as a judge, she was seeing a lot of disadvantaged and uh, uh, young men and women, boys and girls coming through her court system with families of abuse, alcohol, drugs, uh, crime. And she had a daughter who was also going down a little bit of a bad path. And she said, listen, I want to take you out of the, the crowd you're in. Can you go off and pick a, something that you would get uh, excited about? And she went to the local ice rink. You got to remember, there's not a lot of ice facilities here. Mm -hmm. And she started skating. And then she saw a bunch of guys playing hockey. And she said, I want to do that. And she became a very good ice hockey player. And Mari had seen, wow, if it does that to my daughter, what happens if I take these kids and form a program and, and try and get them to play a game that they would never, ever get a chance to? So she got a bunch of people to buy some equipment. She started out with six teams. And how it worked, Joe, is these young men and women or boys and girls, uh, youth, had to go to school. They didn't have to pass. They just had to go to school. And if they did, every Thursday, they would come to the local rink and she had bags of equipment and, and rental skates and they would get to play ice hockey. Well, what it did, it, it gave these kids such a great confidence because they were playing a sport not many people could do uh, because everybody plays rugby and cricket and soccer here. So these kids felt extra special. And as it went along, I then met her and we got the NHLPA Goals and Dreams Fund to donate well over 60 sets of equipment over the years, along with Nathan Walker, one of the NHL stars from, from Australia. And she formed this Ice Factor. And through the Ice Factor, she started to see a lot of Indigenous kids coming out. And so the, she then thought in 2019, why don't I make a team of just Indigenous? And that's what she did. And it was called the Garna Boomerangs. And the Garna people are of the Adelaide area. That's why it was called the Garna Boomerangs. So in 2020, uh, she wanted to bring this team over to Canada. And she had a young man, he was uh, of Native, who was over in Adelaide. And he said, don't worry, he'll organize it. And he came back. He was living in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And she couldn't get a hold of him. And, you know, Natives, uh, they went off. And he went on a walkabout. So she couldn't get a hold of him. She was panicking. So she called me and said, Terry, can you help? And so I made a phone call to a guy named Wilf Brooks at United Cycle out in Edmonton and said, Wilf, we need some help. And he helped me organize this incredible tour in January 2020. The kids left 
Adelaide, never been on, on a plane before, never seen snow, never experienced below 15. They left L Adelaide at plus 40 and arrived in Edmonton minus 43. It was the coldest week <laughs> in history in Edmonton. We took them up to Calling Lake. We did ice fishing. We did tobogganing. They played outdoors. They The Edmonton Oilers opened up their dressing room. We got to skate at Rogers Place. It was just truly amazing. So I then said, let's reciprocate this. Let's bring these Calling Lake uh, players back in June, June of 2020, because that's when my ice hockey classics were being run every June. And unfortunately, we know what happened in February. COVID hit and we couldn't bring these kids back. And, you know, it was sad. So it's mm -hmm. now three years later and it is happening. The Woodland Cree of the Big Stone Cree Nation, a part of Calling Lake, have got 16 young men and women coming over here to play against the Garner Boomerangs. They land July the 9th um, in Sydney. We'll take them to Canberra, the capital of Australia, where they'll play against the, um, the Canadian uh, Armed Forces. Uh, then we'll go to Melbourne and play. They'll play against each other in Melbourne out of the Melbourne Ice Arena. And then we'll go to Adelaide and have two games there. And the purpose of the tour is not just ice hockey. It's a cultural experience. It's Australian and Canada indigenous exchange. We want them to exchange their stories, their plight, their trials and tribulations, obviously with the residential school situation mm -hmm. that we've just gone through, the suicides, the, the depression in Northern parts of our country. They have a huge problem in the middle part of Australia. So we want it to be a tour of hope, letting these young uh, First Nations, indigenous um, youth understand that Life is big, life is grandeur. You can leave your reserve, your small little town and get on a flight and fly over to Australia or go from Australia to Canada and exchange your cultures and understand that we are all human, white, black, indigenous. It just doesn't matter, we're all on this planet and we should live harmoniously. And that's what this tour is all about, to give these young, young people an opportunity to know there's hope and we're there to help them through it. And I must say that I have indigenous blood. I'm fourth generation Métis. You wouldn't know it by looking at me. You wouldn't know it through my lifestyle. I didn't know it uh, until a few years back. I knew there was some history. My great-great-grandfather married a Cree Indian. And so lineage went down all the way to fourth. Uh, and so I owe it to the youth uh, of, of uh, our country after what they've lived through we need to step up and make sure that they know they are just as important on this planet as I am or you are. And so that's what this tour hope is all about. And I'm so blessed that Mari Shaw, my wife, Tony Meal, who's in Canada right now, will be flying over with this group out of Calling Lake. Uh, Will Brooks has been nothing but uh, phenomenal. Uh, Angela Lightning from Calling Lake has been organizing it. And it will be the first time, Joe, that two indigenous teams have met in the South Pacific and it will be a tour of just epic proportion. And, and I'm, I'm honored and blessed to be a part of it. That is so awesome. Uh, so well said, and you can see the passion, you know, you can and hear it in your voice. It's awesome. And uh, yeah, 
Uh, Carrie, you, you do such amazing stuff, and 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 thank you for uh, taking this time with us today. I know it's almost uh, one a.m. <laughs> you probably need to get to bed. <laughs> oh, yeah, listen, good luck with the Melbourne Ice. How's the team doing? How's the team doing? Well, you know, it wasn't quite as advertised, um, and I hadn't coached for a while, so I had to dust off the the book. And to be honest with you. Uh, the passion is here. These kids love it. Uh, the fans love it. We've got the best facility, uh, the O'Brien Ice House, where these young Indigenous players will have an opportunity to play. Um, I came over here, obviously, with all these accolades. Oh, my God, it's Gooch. And, he, uh -huh. you know, he's uh -huh. a great, great coach in that. Um, we started off a little rough. Uh, we're 7-11. and 11. Uh, This team only won three games last year, so we're a little bit ahead of last uh, season. But we're going into... Uh, two weekends we've got four important games uh we lose them all we're out of the playoffs we win them all we're right back in the middle of things so um I, all i can say about australian ice hockey come on down joe i've got a two-bedroom apartment you're more than welcome to come down bring your wife bring your family come and experience the true aussie ice hockey there's nothing like it they they they're they're almost they're the identical to german fans but they speak English. Um, oh, you know, yeah. Good on you. Mate. Hey, uh, good on you. put another tweet from Bobby. No, it's yeah. <laughs> you know, I want to just yeah, end sure. with this for me. I had an import, you know, you're trying to get imports. And so the import called and said, hey, I'd love to come down, but I got to ask you this question. Um, is it true that I could get bitten by a spider and die, get swallowed up by a snake, a poisonous snake? or eaten by a shark, you know, is, is it that bad there? And this jellyfish that's in the water, instantly you die. Yeah. And I said, but you're gonna have more chance of walking across the street, looking the wrong way and getting hit by a car than you're gonna have any of those animals eat you up. So uh, I, we kind of chuckled over that. So it's a great place. It's a wonderful, wonderful country. And I love it here. I miss home. And I will be there back at the Hockey Hall of Fame induction with all those great people. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it. I uh, can't wait to see you again, my friend. So uh, one last question before we go. Yeah. Uh, it's a big question yeah. we always ask. What's the best advice you've ever received? Oh, gosh, it's a great one. Um, it was actually the Robert Belfour, who one day uh, I was there and he was having phantom pain and he was in really, really rough shape. And, uh, you know, I was trying to control him and do whatever I can. And he basically looked at me and said, listen, breathe every minute. Take it in. Do not miss a second of it. Because as you can see from me, Gooch, it could be changed in an instant. And I've got goosebumps saying it because I can now vision him saying that to me. And I've lived with that all my life. And, um, you know, I've lost my mother. I've lost my father. I lost my sister to mental health. Uh, my wife just lost her mother and her sister to a nasty disease called Parkinson. And um, that's what I've done. I've watched people leave me. And I think the best advice is don't take anything for granted, not even one second. Yeah. And you're living each second and, and, and it shows. And, and, and thank you for this. All right, Gooch. Uh, appreciate you joining us. Uh, take care and, uh, We'll have more sports after this. I've done it all. I'm with Joe. Joe Tilly here. My wife, Penny Claire, and I recently took an amazing trip to Egypt and Jordan with Trip Oppo. And here are 
our top 10 must-dos. Number two, visiting the Egypt Museum. It's a must-see for anyone interested in ancient Egyptian history and culture. We were blown away by the amount of history and information on display. I would highly recommend that you book your next trip through Tripopple. Call them today. Yes, it's time for my Cosa Swiss pick of the week. You know, last week I took the number five horse, Southwind Chardonnay. There he is in the three-year-old Philly trot, grassroots starters. She went off as a favorite all the way. She led it, but then she broke stride in the deep stretch, opened the door for the number six horse, Sister Twister, driven by Trevor Henry for Shane Barrington. The time was 156 and four. Look at that tight race. And it's the number six winning, paying 68.70 to win. Now, I had, I had picked a 4-5-6 trifecta, but they finished 6-8-2. That's a 33-to-1 shot, followed by a 25-to-1 shot, followed by a 64-to-1 shot. Check this out. That trifecta returned $19,124.50. Now, that's a nice payday. This week, I'm looking at Thursday night's second race, Trotters, the six-horse. Patrick Rules with Scott Young driving is coming off a close second to the heavy favorite last week. A solid closing quarter there. Let's go with the exacta and trifecta of 156. For all the racing updates, visit Costa TV on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Go to hpibet.com for your wagering options. Joe Tilly Sports is brought to you by COSA, Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario tracks. Check out your benefits today at COSAonline.com and check out COSA TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing year-round. Go to HPIBet.com for all your wagering options. Become a member today and your first bet is free. That's HPIBet.com. Addiction Rehab Toronto, Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center, saving lives, reuniting families. The only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life. Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Guests on Joe Tilly Sports receive a gift certificate from Classica Imports. Top-of-the-line imported men's clothing. Check out the Classica Essential Collection now. Go to shopclassica.com. We want to thank all the folks who make the show possible. These are friends, trusted business associates, and all-around great people. We highly recommend them all. We want to thank you for watching. Also, for your support of Canadian and local sports. A reminder that the show is available on iTunes, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, as well as the Spanglish Network, Zingo TV, and Buzz TV Live. Also, check out the show on YouTube. All of our past great shows and clips are on there, some shorts. Like and subscribe. It's absolutely free. There's some great stuff there, folks. 
Thanks once again to Kerry Goulet for being on the show. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next time. Do you want to buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to overpromise and overdeliver? Aldo has a tremendous team of experts on staff. They are committed to making your next real estate transaction smooth and comfortable. Call 416 Get Aldo or visit getaldo.com. Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family in your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did. 905-686-5678. MNP, a leading Canadian national accounting, tax, and business accounting firm. MNP proudly serves and responds to the need of their clients in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors. Through partner-led engagements, MNP provides a collaborative, cost-effective approach to do business and personal strategies to help people and organizations to succeed across the country and around the world. With local offices in Oshawa, Mississauga, Burlington, and more. Their team is here to support you. Visit mnp.ca today to learn more.